The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. With the government prevailing in two motions to extend the eviction ban and a no-confidence vote, uh, housing is clearly the one issue above all others that this government will be judged upon, and more specifically, my next guest will be judged upon, uh, Minister for Housing, Local Government and Heritage, Dara O'Brien. Minister, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Pat. Thank you very much indeed. Now, uh, before we uh, proceed, I just want to play you 30 seconds of Father Peter McVerry on breakfast this morning, and he did not mince his words. I think this is a horror movie for all those tenants who have received a notice to quit. They they are totally at at a loss as to what to do. There is virtually no emergency uh, homeless accommodation available anywhere in the country. Normally, families would be put up in hotels, but as we know, hotels are full and many hotels are reverting back to tourism. So I am absolutely uh, horrified at what is going to happen over the next few months. So that's uh, Peter McVerry and all the housing charities are at one saying that ending the eviction ban was wrong. So the question still unanswered, where are the people who are evicted to go? You know, first you look at immense regard for Father Peter, and I work with the Peter McVerry Trust on a pretty much on a daily basis, as I do with all homeless charities. And firstly, just to say, Pat, the, the moratorium was brought in on a temporary basis to get through last winter, and we were very clear about that. And uh, there was no easy decisions on this. And basically, I had to make a, make a call to see what would be in 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 the best interest on balance, and I didn't want to further affect the supply of particularly rental properties. And um, by further extending it and seeing more and more landlords leave the market. Now, in that moratorium period, we worked very hard to increase supply over that, and we did so. We delivered about 6,000 new social homes. We brought back over 1,500 void social homes and actually used that period of time to exit more families and indeed individuals from homelessness. So in quarter four last year... Yeah, but more add, were added to the list, Minister. This is the problem, that you still have a oh, rise. No, I just un- understood, and there's many reasons for that, Pat. Like the, high, the number one issue, actually, during the moratorium periods, why people entered into homelessness was relationship breakdown. So it's a very complex issue. And like I have a lot of regard for Father Peter and indeed for, for others who are there. But all of us do agree, though, that the only way of tackling this is to ensure that we increase supply across all tenures. And thankfully, last year, and I'll be publishing these figures in the the next week or so, we'll have delivered more new social homes than we've done since 1975. But, but, uh, I mean, it's something that has not been mentioned very often, that is relationship breakdown, where you need two households now instead of one for a family that were one unit. Is your message to people put up with each other for a little longer until we get the housing situation sorted out? No, no. No, absolutely not at all. And look, uh, it is, I'm just stating the fact that like, it, it is a very complex issue. It's not just people coming from the private rental uh, sector. It is, it is relationship breakdown. It can be new arrivals, and we have a lot of new arrivals coming in too. And we need to look after everyone. Now, we've increased the emergency capacity, emergency bed capacity over that period. We added an additional 500 homeless emergency beds. And actually, we're in the process since the start of January, adding an additional 2,000. But what I want to see is people exiting into full-time secure housing. So that's why one really important measure that has been in place since the middle of last year, and we've ramped it up further, is the purchase of a tenant in situ. So that's where someone is on social housing support and is 
renting a private property through the housing yep. assistance payment or the RAS scheme. And we're buying those properties now. And we've actually over a thousand since January in train right now. So yeah. it's an opportunity actually for yeah. to and it, 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 more it, it does take home. time in spite of what the opposition might be saying about small numbers. There are significant numbers in negotiation. But reading a report uh, that councils cannot afford the asking prices being sought by these property owners. In other words, they're using this scheme to jack up the price that they're asking of the council. Uh, oh, yeah, I read that report. It was kind of curious because we've actually the the range um, for purchases is, is actually I wouldn't say generous, but it's very very realistic. And the 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 facts bear it out that since January passed, there's over a thousand properties in train. There's more coming in every single day. I see that on the ground in in Fingal and in Dublin and across the country. We've set up our own units to monitor this too and. The resources are there with the local yeah. authorities. But in They're terms of after. agreeing the price, I, I, I mean, well, yeah. the, the, the landowner, the property owner will say uh, if he's or she is particularly uh, avaricious, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know three auctioneers have said this is the price, 350000 I want four hundred. Take it or leave it. What do you do yeah, then? W- well, we haven't seen too much of that, to be honest with you, because for, for landlords who have decided to exit, and there's many reasons for that, um, some of them because of age, because it is their pension pot and they're selling out because house prices have come up uh, over that period of time. We're actually seeing the sector engage very well with local authorities and we want more of that. Like There will always be people, a small percentage one would have thought, who, who might try to push the envelope. But if you think about it this way, the, the, the sale with tenant in situ means that it reduces the costs for the property owner substantially. Sure. There's no vacancy in the property. Rent is received right up to the date of sale. Um, you know, no advertising, very little estate agent fees. So it actually makes a lot of sense. And the other part of the safety net that we've brought in for those tenants who actually aren't social housing tenants to convert those properties to what's called cost rental properties, which effectively means that if you can't afford to buy that property and the landlord's selling it and the landlord will be offering that first to the tenant, that an approved housing body with our support will purchase it and then let it back to someone on a cost rental basis. So whilst it, well, there, there are a lot of very, uh, re, you know, sort of prag, pragmatic uh, supports that are in that are actually taking place and are working now. So, you know, we'll do everything and yeah. people can be absolutely... But, but in the meantime, sure. you know, when people have nowhere to go, do you suspect that there will be what's called overholding, that tenants who have nowhere to go will, in spite of an eviction notice, will stay put? Well, I think lots of landlords and tenants work this out between themselves. Like only about 2% of tenancies actually end in, in some type of dispute. So you see people being very, very realistic, landlords giving additional time uh, to people as well. There have been instances of overholding. I, I don't necessarily see that this move because of, of coming out of a temporary moratorium on a phased basis, there's no cliff edge on this. This runs to the 18th of June. That allows people that time one, to source additional accommodation, or two, to look at their options. And actually, since the start of January, when people talk about new tenancies not being created, on the housing assistance side, so the HAP tenancies, we've actually created about 2,000 new HAP tenancies just since January uh, to the start of this week. Um, So, you know, whilst the the market is constrained, uh, we've got to build more, and we're doing that. We do need rental properties, and it goes back to to the crux of this. There's no party in the doll saying, the eviction ban should not end. Uh, and the main opposition party have given three different dates over the last three weeks. My concern, and it's a genuine concern, is any additional 
measure in this regard will actually lead to more and more yeah. properties being lost and making a difficult situation worse. And that's the responsible move to make, even though it might not be in the short term the most popular. Yeah, a, a, a political, aware of this, of the, a political sorry, point, uh, Minister, yeah. that yeah. Um, you, know, you say it was brought in on a temporary basis, that was made clear to everybody and it had to yeah. end, perhaps for constitutional reasons, who knows. But anyway, uh, Dee says the USC was brought in on a temporary basis. And there's no adherence to that temporary fix. It's a permanent fix. So, you know, when it suits you, things can be temporary. And when it suits you, things can be permanent. Look, I understand what Dee is saying. The USC was a tax measure. Um, I think this is very much related to... But it was a temporary uh, little arrangement, was it not, that has now become a permanent part of the tax system? Well, I think the the USC, in fairness, is is probably the most progressive part of taxation that has been brought brought in. Lots of people. But it was supposed to be temporary. Oh, indeed, it was many years ago. Okay, but what I'm saying to you is, and it was, uh, is that it is an important part of of raising taxes to run the services that we need in this country. And thankfully, the the country economically is is going well. Where we have more people working now than we've ever had, and that is due to careful management of the economy and making sure that we have a fair taxation system that supports. All right. Well, the, let, let's let's return. State, like in the delivery of social housing. Let's return to to housing because that is uh, your province, and. I'm I'm looking at a story about a military close in Ballinrobe. I don't know whether you saw it, but the houses were for sale. It was a first phase, deposits uh, laid down. Then a second phase was announced. And then uh, suddenly the auctioneer announced that all have been sold to a single buyer. In other words, those houses, instead of being occupied by owners, will instead be rented for as long as they stand up. Now, that's not really acceptable, that kind of thing. Now, you've taken some limited action against the bulk buying of properties, but that's really what's destroying home ownership in this country. Well, I haven't seen that specific one, Okay, so I don't know the details on it. Just to say two things. Firstly, we we did bring in quite a significant change uh, to planning law um, over 12 months ago, and that was to bring in the owner-occupier guarantee. Over 20,000 properties now have been granted planning permission on a single sale only, so individual sale only basis. And the Minister for Finance at the time, Pascal Donoghue, also has raised very substantially the stamp duty payments on um, bulk purchases. So effectively for houses and duplexes, we've, we've banned bulk, bulk purchases. Now, the Ballinrobe situation, it could be a local authority purchase. I don't know. Uh, it could, uh, so I don't know the detail of that. But the, the facts uh, say is somewhat different because last year, actually, we had the highest amount of first-time buyers uh, purchasing homes, thankfully, than we've seen since 2008. Uh, about 25,000 first-time buyer mortgages drawn down. And we're seeing that increasing, but half of all new properties being bought now, 53% are first-time buyers. And that's because of some of the measures that I've brought in, like the First Home Equity Scheme, that you will remember, Pat, and I've discussed this on your show, that many in the opposition railed against this scheme saying it was going to be a second mortgage and it would drive up prices. It's not a second mortgage. It's a direct help to yeah. individuals and, and households to buy a home, many of whom are renting. And about 1,300 have done so already under that scheme in eight months. So, you know, there are measures that are very practical that have been taken that are having effect on the ground. But not to be evasive at all, I don't know the background detail on Ballinrobe. It could be yeah. a social it, it, housing It's purchase. not, no. It's, it's a company. Uh, the name of ownership is Green Drive Asset Holdings Limited. But, you know, there are accounts in that report of people who laid down their deposit went sale agreed and then suddenly they're told here's your deposit back you don't have a house now that well, we kind of carry that. on we 
we've stopped that in planning. It couldn't be retrospective, okay? That has obviously been granted in advance of the changes that I brought in. This was a situation that was very prevalent, uh, you know, over, over the last number of years, and I've stopped it. And actually, if you see the percentage of non-owner-occupier purchases have decreased substantially over the last, over the last two years. But look, um, and I've seen that right across the country. Like I was in Limerick just a couple of weeks ago in Patrick's Well. There's the first private housing scheme being built, over 100 homes there, um, for over 30 years. And their first-time buyers buying that, using the Help to Buy grant, their tax back, the €30,000 tax back, and the first home scheme. So, you know, it is about supplying all tenures, both helping people who want to buy their home, buy their home, and we're doing that, more good social housing for people who have been waiting on this. And again, we've seen quite a substantial reduction in, in social housing waiting lists. And yes, we've got to ensure that we have a functioning private market, uh, both for purchase and yeah. indeed for rent. And there is a big challenge on, on the private yeah. rent. Now, now the, pressure, no uh, the pressure for local authorities uh, to provide housing stock has resulted, uh, you know, one of the texters here says, councils are buying whole developments, now they're buying second-hand stock for social housing, so no new houses for first-time buyers who are no. the net losers here. I mean, that is the problem. When you're competing as a private buyer with your own local authority to buy a house, that's a pretty poor state of affairs. Well, firstly, councils aren't buying up uh, new housing estates that have been brought to market for sale. Um, they're developing with approved housing bodies and themselves uh, new schemes and additionality, and that's what's happening there. And I've just not to. But they to are buying it, as yeah. under the new scheme. They are being encouraged to buy up. Uh, oh, the new scheme, yeah. but the new scheme is, is different, Pat, because like what we're doing there is these are people who are renting in in, in the tenant in situ scheme are people who are on our social housing list, many of whom have been on it for 6, 8, 10, 12 years. And it has the effect of bringing that property into, into public housing stock and also reducing uh, our waiting list on social housing. So it's a very targeted measure. We're not telling the local authorities to go out and compete with first-time buyers. Actually, I've told them uh, to do the absolute contrary to that. But this is a very focused purchase, uh, helping a family uh, who may have been in that house for a number of years who are a social, who are on social housing uh, waiting lists, and bringing that property into public ownership. So it, it's not competing with first-time buyers. Okay. And as I said, the, the, the facts are borne out. Actually, last year, the highest amount of first-time buyers actually being able to buy their home since 2008. And okay. we're I, going to keep I, I, pushing that. I, I want to talk to you about the, the, the missteps that may have been made. I, I mean, uh, HAP, first of all, the housing assistance payment, perhaps it's too generous. There is a belief in some quarters that HAP actually pushed up the price of renting to unrealistic levels. And also, you know, the quality of the apartments that's on offer is very variable. The second thing then that was co-living, which came along, Owen Murphy responsible for that, the developers promising to charge one thing for a room, and then when it comes to market, charging 50 or even 100% more than they had promised. Then the rent pressure zone scared off the landlords, because if they had been uh, good to a client and never uh, raised the rent very much, suddenly they're faced with a very limited increase should that property become vacant. Then the eviction ban, the pandemic one, which is understandable, then a second one. I mean, you keep on doing things that have not perhaps the desired effect. They have a temporary effect, but the net effect at the end of it all is landlords are saying, we're out of here. Well, we've seen for the last six years, actually, landlords have a substantial rate uh, leave, and that is a concern. Uh, and we've got to work very hard to reverse that. Um, 
And Michael McGrath government have been very clear that in the budget we will be bringing forward uh, meaningful and effective measures to retain and encourage landlords into the sector, both on the taxation and the expenditure side. To deal with a couple of things that you've raised there, certainly look on co-living. Uh, I banned co-living. I didn't believe in it. I was against it in, in opposition. And when I got into government, I banned it. There are a few co-living schemes coming uh, you know, coming uh, into effect. Very, very few, I might add. And they were yeah. residual from... Yeah, but 1,200 for a, a room the size of a disabled car parking space jumps to yeah. 1,800 a room when no, no, it's, it's, it comes to market. It's not I mean, something I support at all, but like, that's why I banned it. And that's why there's, there, there's no new co-living applications going through our planning system. For, for the last 20 months, nearly two years. Um, and uh, I think because what I want is good, sustainable housing and apartments. And there's a challenge around apartments that I might talk to you about before we conclude. Mm-hmm. Uh, the eviction bans, by the way, look, the pandemic ones, I agree, they were for public health reasons and perfectly correct. The, the winter moratorium was for a very specific reason, to give, us a, to give us a bit of breathing space to deliver more stock, which we've done. To help people through, like we had a, a big spike in the cost of living crisis. You remember the budget we brought in, an additional 11 billion euro in support. And we wanted to make sure that we were helping renters as well. That's why we brought in the renters tax credit, which is worth a thousand euro to every renter this year. So there were a lot of things done in that period. We are doing, and have started doing this a number of months ago, which is a full review of the rental sector, dealing with RPZs and everything about how this looks and what impact previous policy decisions and indeed current ones I've had in that space but landlords are leaving for different reasons Pat some of its demographic reasons someone in the early 2000s who may be self-employed who you know was in their 40s and bought a house and that was their pension fund and now they're they're getting to 60 65 and they want to draw down their pension fund and they're selling their house that's something that you know if someone has planned to do okay but but there's uh, no doubt the other... that the uh, one texter the erosion the continual erosion of property rights has scared the landlords off another one the eviction ban has scared the out of landlords is driving them out of the market. Um, the, the, the proposals we heard during the week on this programme, uh, Moncrief had it from the Netherlands, I'm familiar with it from Paris, where you actually control rents by saying, you know, where an apartment is, what its uh, square um, footage size is, what the quality of the apartment is, how big is the kitchen, what's its BER, uh, how close to public transport it is. All of those elements garner points for a particular apartment. And the rent is controlled per square metre based on the points accrued by an apartment. Why do we not embrace a system like that, which would reduce co-living rents probably to six or seven hundred a month rather than eighteen hundred a month? Sure. And a, a two-bedroom apartment with a small kitchen in the docklands would not be fetching two and a half grand, it might be fetching twelve hundred. Well, it's one of the reasons we brought forward cost rental pass, which is state-backed state affordable rent. And only no, but why not do it for existing stock? Well, because well, if you brought I'm, in these rules, now let, let me put it to you, if you brought sure, in these rules, which exist in other places, you could just cop, copy and paste, you don't have to do it from scratch, then the tenants themselves would police, because they would be looking at an apartment in Block A in a particular development in the Docklands, they would work out the points, the landlord's looking for two well, and a half yeah. grand, and you say, sorry, the minister says it's only 1,500 is the max. Uh, and then you go to the RTB or a new body that would police it for you. I mean, that's the way it would work. It might take a few years to kind of fully become mature, but the tenants would do the policing for you. No, and I will answer that. Just I do do want to say, because it is very important that people know this, that we've over a 1,000 cost rental tenancies in place now, which is state-backed affordable rent. So it was yesterday, I was in Wicklow, 
in Delgany with the Taoiseach and colleagues where we had over 114 new apartments there and the rents being charged there are about 40% below the market because they're backed by the state. Now, to get to your point in relation to yep. what happens in other jurisdictions, that's part of the review that we're doing too. Okay, now... I've, I've actually met, you know, I've, I've met with colleagues across Europe in relation to rental, rental systems that are there. Some certainly are, have been in place for a, a lot longer than Ireland's um, uh, rental market as such. You know, we've, there, there have been for a long number of years probably an over-reliance, not probably, definitely an over-reliance on the private rental sector because the state wasn't delivering enough. And that's fundamentally what we want to do. But the rent market review that we're doing will take all of those things into account. Like I've seen in I think I heard you discussing it as well, and I've looked at this in Germany for argument's sake, where the the type of apartment that's let out could be let out effectively with no furnishings whatsoever. That's not something that people are used to in Ireland, that you wouldn't even have a kitchen. So these measures, you would have to have a look at it, bring them in. No, but I did mention the Netherlands, where the kind of kitchen you have, the size of the kitchen, merits certain number of points. The BER merits certain Mm -hmm. numbers of points. So if you buy a really nice apartment or rent a really nice apartment in a a great area with public transport on a a very good BER, you pay a lot. If you're renting a hovel uh, that the landlord hasn't looked after, you pay far, far less. In our market, you'd be paying the same for either. Well, I, I, not really. Um, to be honest with you, you see different rents being charged right across the country based on where they are, and a, a big variance in rents being charged between one part of the country and another. So I think the market actually currently drives that. The issue is then in relation to the quality of what is being rented. Now, you know, we've, we inspected actually 49,000 rental properties last year, which was the highest amount ever. But it gets to your earlier point, though, as well, about you know, regulation and how regulation would work in a positive way with the private rental sector. Like there are, you know, property owners who have been very concerned about changes in regulations over the last five, six, seven years, and indeed recently too. But most of the changes have been brought in to try to strengthen tenants' rights whilst respecting the rights of the property owner too. And I think one of the things that has uh, concerned landlords is the constant talk of effectively the no-fault eviction, which would mean that someone who would have bought a property uh, maybe as their pension fund uh, would not actually be able to sell it effectively uh, in many in many instances and you can't bring in a some a, a european style rental model on existing stock overnight without having a massive negative effect on it that's why it's important to take a step back and to look and I, by the way i'll be publishing this review before uh, before the end of June, and it will be very detailed, and it will provide options I, for what we should do well, going I, forward. I, I so, look forward to reading it and yes. talking to you about it when it comes. Right. Now, you wanted to talk about apartments, and I want to talk about apartments too. In some areas, no apartments available for sale at all. People gagging to buy an apartment, uh, and then if they finally do find an apartment for sale, there's no place to store. A suitcase. I mean, what is being built in this jurisdiction is shameful, really, compared to other jurisdictions. Uh, Limited recreational space for people who buy apartments. I mean, we really, really need to go back to the drawing board in the way we are providing this kind of accommodation. Well, I think firstly, in relation to standards, the development sector would say to you that the standards that the state have put in are actually quite exacting and it, you know, the new apartments and there's not nearly enough of them being built and I want to get that started and I'll tell you how we're going to do that is like do have proper storage space do are well designed have proper open space facilities and 
you know, there are some apartments being built uh, across the country. But Minister, the open space at the energy. moment being provided in apartment blocks includes the balconies. That's how they work out the open space available to people. They actually measure the balconies and include that in the ratio. That is daft. Pat, most of the, and I travel the country a lot, okay, um, and most of the new apartment, well, actually all of the new apartment developments I see only yesterday in Wicklow, where it's a mix of apartments, duplexes and, and, and houses, are to the highest standard and really, really good quality. And you'd actually be proud of them to see the, the quality of the workmanship that is in there. I think we've moved on from, uh, you know, a lot of the shoddy workmanship that we saw. That's one of the reasons why I brought forward the, the apartment defects and I'm bringing forward the apartment defects scheme to actually put homes back to where they should have been and to make homes safer for people. And I've stepped in and the government have stepped in to help people in that space. So I'm much more confident in the standards that are being applied now. Now, the real issue then is about how do we do more? And, you know, in, in the coming weeks, we've, we have the Apartment Activation Fund. We've been partnering with the private sector, looking at schemes that have paused, that permissions have not actually been affected, but planning permissions have been given about how many of those that we can get into the ground and get started this year. Are, are the developers, the though, are they running rings around your officials? No. You know, saying we can't do this because uh, it's not viable financially for us to do it. They've had permission, some of them for this age, SHDs, about which there are many question marks, as you know. Um, one official is before the courts at the moment. But anyway, we'll park that for the moment. Uh, but even at a time when building costs were far lower, they weren't building them. Yeah, well, Pat, I've entered into this on an open book basis, so they're not running rings around me or my officials, indeed. And I think there's two things is to see how we can get, you know, pause planning permissions activated for so that we can get apartments built in our cities that people can buy or they can rent through cost rental by the state. And I'm confident that we'll be able to get a number of those schemes up and running over, over the course of this year and will add quite substantially to our to our housing stock overall, but that people will see apartments for sale and for cost rental in their cities at scale, and, that, and that's what we need. Um, the other piece is about how you make a apartment schemes into the future viable, and I think one, one of the environments, well, the environment we're living in right now is a high interest rate environment, which means also that funding costs are much higher. So that's been one of the pressures in relation to development as well. And, you know, we've got to be flexible as to how we deal with that to make sure that we're not seeing a decline well, in housing output. And this year, we've, we've about, as I speak to you today, we've about 37,000 units across the country at various different stages of construction. And if you think about it, when I would have spoken to you at the very start of my term, we were building 20,000 homes a year, just 20,000. Last year, we did 30,000 and we want well, to do more if we can. This well, Minister, I, I, detect you know, in, I detect in you that you see this as a race against time uh, before the next election looms. You hope to get those numbers up to uh, a level that will vindicate all your work over your period in office. We're going to leave it there. So many other things to talk about. Compulsory purchase. I note that it could have taken up to 12 years to get one through. It'll now be uh, limited to 12 months from the first ambition to compulsory purchase. All sorts of things. Yesterday, Pat, actually, just, just yeah. so you know, I know you're under time pressure and that's a very important piece of work by the Law Reform Commission that's been a long time underway and yesterday I received from the attorney that report along with a draft bill and I'm meeting him next Wednesday because CPO and the way it works or doesn't work in this country needs to be 
you know, needs to be overhauled. And I think this is a good basis for us yeah. to do it. And uh, I can assure you just, by the way, in relation to housing delivery, that electoral cycle is not on my mind. What it is about is delivering what we said we do for, for people. And I can assure you of it. And I know there's other issues that we can talk about again and we'd be really yeah. happy to do so. Great stuff. Minister, thank you very much uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. All right, uh, let's talk more.